everybody, it's Sam, that girl with the curls, bringing you another amazing episode of the podcast, because I am nothing if not my own fan, which is actually going to be very important in the next four years. Um, so yeah, this is uh, episode 80, we're getting that much closer to uh, episode 100, which I don't know what I'm going to do for that, you know, it it takes so long sometimes to get to the, the next episode, so I'm just taking it in, in strides. Maybe it'll it'll just be a, a vote situation where you vote for your favorite, or I bring back a, a guest or something. I, I don't know. It's 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 a weird thing to even be thinking about right now, but I thought I'd, I'd throw that anxiety your way as well. <laughs> but uh, this episode, uh, episode 80, again, uh, for those who are paying attention, uh, this is Nancy, uh, Nancy Wong Yoon. Uh, and she is a, a really amazing uh, gal to talk to. I really enjoyed this conversation. She has a book uh, out that is called Real Inequality, R-E-E-L, which is all about Hollywood and its, um, its very racist attitudes. It's a, a lack of representation for anyone who isn't uh, white and male for the most part. So uh, the book itself, which we do talk about um, in the episode, is more of a manual. Uh, it's as much a history as it is containing statistics, as well as kind of a how to proceed now that you have all this information. Um, we also talk about her uh, teaching career, uh, movies, and just generally kind of stick with the, the Hollywood and the uh, lack of representation. Uh, theme. So uh, that is what this episode is. It is definitely worth listening to. I really enjoyed talking to Nancy about this. So uh, please pick up her book. Please, uh, you know, support her in any way you can. And uh, also enjoy this episode with Nancy Wong Yoon. Just to formally start now, uh, Nancy Yoon, welcome to That Girl with the Curls. I'm so happy that you could be on here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, and I've been, we've been following each other for just a little bit here, but it's um, I've really wanted to talk to you about your book, especially Real Inequality. Um, unfortunately, I haven't been able to read it. It's on my list, my very large stack of books that I need to be getting through, so I apologize on that front. Oh, no problem. It's um, it's it's out, and it's actually a really quick read, so you'll get through it probably in half a day. Excellent. Okay, I'll I'll shave it down by a few hours just to show you how serious I am about it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it it was uh, for me it was important to to have uh, y- you come on because the um, the 
representation in media is something that I really do uh, believe in, in terms of just, I talk about it a lot on this podcast, uh, and I've written a great deal about it too over the course of my website's lifespan so far. Um, So uh, I definitely love this subject and really like talking about it and discussing it. So again, this is just the gushy part where I'm like, hey, you're so awesome, and I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's, uh, It's a passion of mine too. Hence the uh, you know, sixteen plus years research and and also yeah um, bring it to the public I think it's mm-hmm. um it's I want it to be something that can actually impact society and not just uh, you know sit in my ivory tower academic kind of you know professor seat but um, mm-hmm. but really really engage um, the everyday you know audience member or artist I've had a lot of actors of color working actors of color contact me who've read the book or read my writings and just, you know, feel like redeemed because they're mostly voiceless and to be able to have, um, you know, something that is organized and, and in mass, I think Mm -hmm. it really makes them feel like they are, um, they're part of, they're part of kind of the fabric of discussion. So. No, definitely. And, um, for just for those who don't know what the book is, uh, do you want to give like a very like short synopsis of, <laughs> of what it's about? Sure. Sure. So it's, uh, the title is real inequality, Hollywood actors and racism. And it's, uh, it's a, it's a combination of kind of statistics about, you know, the just how racist Hollywood really is, mm-hmm. and as well as uh, interviews from um, original interviews that I conducted with almost 100 working actors, as well as published interviews with actors. So I actually interviewed um, all actors in terms of white actors, black actors, Latino and Asian American, and I compared their experiences across groups so that I could actually say there is a difference in mm-hmm. terms of racism as well as sexism. And so I, um, yeah, so it's their story as well as I, I, I give a little bit of uh, kind of theory about why Hollywood is the way it is, why it continues to be racist, how it can kind of keep that up despite kind of um, marketing itself or branding itself as a very progressive industry. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the book, I actually give uh, policy kind of suggestions for not just um, the government or the studios, but also the everyday person who watches movies, like what they can do to make a difference and to kind of push Hollywood to, to diversify. No, so it's it's like it's part uh, oral history, part statistical analysis, part philosophy, part um, you know activism, basically, which exactly is so cool. Like it's just it's like a manual for <laughs> for how to how to go about dealing with this. Um, yeah, it's like you know, if you don't know about it, you can learn about it. But it's not just like you learn about it and do nothing. But there's there's stuff that you can actually do because I think it can be really depressing or or just pure purely interesting to just talk about this but i think you know without action it's kind of useless to just you know preach to the choir but if people are interested or if people don't know much about it and want to know more i think they can have their eyes open to i think i've heard from user from users from readers (laughs) who said i'm too social media plugged um from from readers that um that they didn't that they know that there's racism, but they didn't know how much there was and the extent 
extent to which it's kind of permeate, permeates the entire system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it that seems to be always like the, the the big issue with a lot of people, especially, I mean, especially white people, is that there's like, oh, no, I acknowledge that there's racism, but they don't want to, you know, we don't want to acknowledge how far, how far it goes, how deep it is, and how ingrained it is in, in a system that is um, basically like uh, weighted towards white people entirely. Yeah, and a lot of people in Hollywood, like when you ask them, people who are in positions of power and authority, you ask them about racism, and they'll, their initial reaction is, oh yeah, Hollywood is so racist and so sexist, and then they'll come back with, but I'm not interested in diversity, I'm interested in brilliance, <laughs> you know, so they take a very meritocratic, what's called, you know, merit, like they think that like, you know, it's, it's just really about talent, mm-hmm. so, so they'll acknowledge it, but completely deny it in the next <laughs> sentence. It's like, the, I don't see color, I see people, it's like, oh my god, just, alright, here we go. Because nobody wants to admit that they're racist, right? Yeah. Um, I was at a conference where Mo Ryan, the TV critic for Variety, said that, um, that people, that white people in the industry don't want to talk about the racism because they don't want to be the villains in that in that narrative. They want to be mm-hmm. the heroes, right? So mm-hmm. if you're talk, going to talk about racism in the industry, who are the villains? Not, you know... Not the executives. No. <laughs> right, no way. Not them. There's no way, right? So so it's it's so interesting how kind of the, the, the fiction that they weave... Um, overflows into the way that they want to be seen. <laughs> and then we watch superhero movies where that just gets kind of like reconfirmed over and over again. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, no I mean cuz one of the one of the bigger, you know, there've been many issues lately in the last few years, but one of the bigger ones has been like the the Marvel superheroes especially because there's just more of them to kind of criticize right now. Um, and the uh, the whitewashing of characters such as the Ancient One in Doctor Strange, and then, uh, by all technicalities, uh, Iron Fist in the new series coming out, um, where it's been, like, pulling teeth trying to get people to acknowledge that, you know, that whitewashing exists, first of all, <laughs> and, and that there are actually ways of doing representation and also being true to the character um, at the same time. Yeah, and I think that... The idea that actors can play any role is good, mm-hmm. but the problem is th- there's just a mismatch between the, the percentages of roles available to white actors versus those available to actors of color. Mm-hmm. So, and then the few you know characters of color that appear, like half of them at least, are, are whitewashed or they're or they're relegated to kind of the minor minor role, right? Yeah, they're. they're I think in Doctor Strange that you know they. They kind of created the the Benedict Wong role, but you know that isn't a main character, right? One of the main main roles, mm-hmm. and so it's like it's like if you're going to show a person of color, they're they're not the heroes, you know, they're not the main heroes, they're not the ones that you identify with as the audience member, and that's the problem, right? So then yeah. their significance their significance is completely diminished, and and then that percept the perception of those groups in society is affected by that. No, yeah, and I was watching the the video for for the book that you have on your website and uh the the study that uh, African American children, you know, watching TV, their self-esteem would go down because they didn't see themselves represented or if they saw themselves they were not the hero, they were, you know, some kind of uh villain or side character that didn't have as much impact and uh which it, it doesn't, I mean, quite honestly, it doesn't blow my mind, but I know that that probably, like, gets to people where they're just like, 
well, that can't be true, really, can it? Yeah, and I think that because people treat film and television as mere entertainment, right, that, mm-hmm. that it's not serious. But then, you know, television, I mean, if you think about the amount of media that um, that kids consume, that mm-hmm. people consume, it's upwards of 15, 20 hours a day, you know? Oh, yeah. So you can't help but be affected if you are only seeing one group as the hero and then you're only seeing yourself as the villain. I mean, that, 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 how can that not affect young people's minds who are, you know, their realities are still being formed. Oh, yeah. No, and uh, so a friend of mine, we were talking about Rogue One um, the other day, and by the time this goes up, it will have been, the episode will, will have already come out. But we were talking about Rogue One and um, the, the fact that you have the main cast, you know, your, your rogues basically are entirely people of color, and then you have Felicity Jones, who, you know, is taking over this main role, which doesn't really... Ha- I, I didn't care for her story, in terms of the the actual narrative of it. Uh, I mean, first of all, have you seen Star Wars? <laughs> you know? uh, I've seen Rogue One. Yes. Okay, cool. Excellent. So we're on the same page on that one. <laughs> yes. um, but that also, I mean, we were applauding the movie for that, but then also saying, like, look, there's you have um, people of color represented in this one group, but in the background, we're also lacking like women of color and women in general. <laughs> and so like, you know, these celebrations of diversity also come with their own, you know, it's like caveats where it's like, look guys, we still have a lot of work. Don't go like patting yourself on the back entirely here. Agree. It's like, um, we're just happy to see some diversity. And, right. And, and just like, we're like so thankful that at least it's not, you know, like Avengers where it's all white men again. And, and, and funny thing is, yeah, like you said, I also noticed there were no women of color. It's the whole, like, the minority feisty, the idea that, oh, you have, you know, one great female character that then distracts you from the fact that there are no other female characters at yeah. all in the entire film. I was, um, I was explaining to a friend who he had never heard of the um, uh, five-man band trope. Um, and, and so I was explaining it, and for those out there who don't know, it's basically, like, five characters, usually in an ensemble group, which happened a lot during the 80s and 90s cartoons that, uh, that we probably all grew up on. Um, and there's always one girl. One girl, group of guys, and she's the most special girl. And God forbid another woman showed up, because fuck that bitch. I mean, it's like... But it's it's a similar thing in terms of where you're conditioned from a young age to view yourself in terms of the character that most represents you. And for girls, it's typically the female character, and the, or it's the female hero or her sexy black-clad counterpart. So you either get on board with one of them or you have to choose one of the guys to, to be more, um, to, to identify with. And that can, that can mess up how you perceive yourself in, in the world. And the same thing applies to, uh, to race. If you don't see yourself represented, you have a skewed vision, not only of yourself, but like how you relate to the world around you. Absolutely. And I think that, um, it needs to be kind of a, a you know, a social, uh, moral impediment, uh, impediment. <laughs> like a goal of, well, it is an impediment to kind of social progress. Mm-hmm. But I think that, um, you know, Hollywood is, is mostly interested in making money. And I don't think, I don't know if any of them actually care about the, you know, the social impact of their, of their stories. But then it's, that's when, you know, the, the government can step in, at least in terms of television, right? Mm-hmm. The, the FCC, you know, control, you know, they have some control over the, um, the broadcasting waves, 
and television um, is supposed to serve the public, right, mm-hmm. legally. And yet, um, and yet we've, we've kind of lost sight of that, and, and I think that there's just too much control, there's too little control, um, and I think that regu- some regulation in terms of at least population proportional representation, right? Yeah. That we can at least have, you know, because, you know, actually people of color are, are um, consuming media at higher rates than, than white audiences. Right, mm-hmm. and so and so, I think that there's there's very little acknowledgement of that kind of moral aspect of of um, of just of media. Yeah, right? and so I think that 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 then um, I don't know. It's 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 a public health thing. I think you know, at least a mental health thing. But we don't we don't take that seriously, unfortunately, as a society, and we don't we don't push for that enough because again, we see all this as just mere entertainment. Even though psychological studies show that there is, there's great influence that media can have on young people. Yeah, the the ubiquitousness of, of television, and and especially now where there's so much media, and yet we still manage to not represent everybody as as much as we should. It, that that's almost the more mind blowing thing. Where it's just kind of like, guys, we have all of this available. Like, what the hell is the problem here? Yeah, unfortunately, the main even though there's more, especially on YouTube, right, there is a mm-hmm. lot of um, alternative content. And, and some of it does, um, you know, kind of get picked up by Hollywood, like Awkward Black Girl, right, with Issa Rae. Yeah. And so that's that's become insecure on HBO, and that's just it's great that there is this kind of, um, there's, a, there's now a form for uh, women of color, for people of color to be able to create original content and not have to go through the studio system. But now it's like, yeah, like you said, there's just so much programming, and yet the stuff that kind of gets the most funding and the most distribution um, are, are still limited in terms of um, the race, you know, allowing people of color and women mm-hmm. um, into those into those kind of exclusive um, deals, right? And yeah. So it's it's still yeah it's not still not equal, but I think that because there are alternative platforms, it's. It's at least um, because a lot of my students, for example, um, they are watching YouTube, right? They're mm-hmm. they're consuming. They're not they're not necessarily like half of their stuff. Even more is coming off of YouTube, so there are more choices now. And I think Hollywood is very like they're 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 kind of shaking in their boots with uh, with new media, right? Mm-hmm. And so they don't know what to do with themselves. And hopefully that will uh, push them to want to uh, diversify more their content. Yeah, and there, I mean, and there's definitely this um, this ability for people to kind of go out and make that content really quickly. I mean, like iPhones and uh, Androids are the quality of the film can actually be just as good sometimes, you know, if if not better, depending on who's doing the filming. Um, and so you have like those opportunities uh, for people to kind of branch out and create the content that they want to see, and it can be easily, you know, accessible, you know, to a degree on YouTube. So it's like Hollywood's just sitting back going like, okay, well, now now what do we do? Yeah, and a lot of the film school graduates are actually going to YouTube. Like I went to a conference with Freddie Wong, who is on YouTube, and he came out of you know USC film school. So, so yeah, so the, the quality and the training of people who are creating original content is very high. It's, you know, it's equivalent to people who are, who are working in the mainstream industry. So, mm-hmm. so that's exciting, I think. Yeah, and and so with your um, because you're a professor of sociology, uh, correct? 
Uh, and you also teach uh, gender and media studies and pop culture studies. Uh, um, what uh, you know? What do you find uh, you get out of the the class that that affects like how you approach the you know gender and racial issues in terms of like your book or just approaching the media in general? Well, when I introduce the class, I always say, well, you know, take after taking this class, you're never going to watch media the same again. <laughs> like, you can't enjoy it anymore because my, my goal is to have them be, you know, have a critical view towards media, mm-hmm. right? So that they would have what's called media literacy, right? Yeah. So that, so then they, they can't just see it as mere entertainment. Um, even, it, and, and also over the years, I've, I've noticed that my students are consuming media again at much higher rates than they used to, partly because of the whole streaming phenomena, the whole Netflix binge watching. I mean, they are watching of upwards of 15, 16 hours. I'm like, when do you do your homework? You know, <laughs> and then they're like, homework? What? <laughs> do you even go to classes? <laughs> actually, one, one of my films, or he's a film student, he said that he actually rents out the classroom where they screen films and just watches Netflix. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my <friends>. God. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so there's, there's a lot more kind of consumption of media and so I think it's so that's why it's so important to kind of teach them uh, critical media literacy so that so that they since they're consuming at such a high volume that they can they can you know if they're watching they're watching by themselves but they're also sometimes watching with others and to be able to tell their friends and to be able to kind of spread that message of hey did you notice that in Rogue One there are no other women (laughs) (laughs) so just that they can they can you know they can they can they can approach it and they can they can start to discern, right, and hopefully mm-hmm. make choices. That's what I try to teach them. That you need to then um, speak with your with your money, right? You mm-hmm. need to go and support films that you want to see more of, you know, in the box office, the first opening weekend. And go and support those films so that they can feel that they are active as well in terms of you know showing Hollywood that you know that maybe those the, the way that you've always done things, the the way that you've excluded certain groups, that that's not going to sell anymore because because the the new you know the new generation is more diverse even the white students you know they they have they have students of colors as friends so they're mm-hmm. used to operating in a world where where it's not all white yeah no, and especially like with the you know it, probably the generation after after mine and, and subsequent ones are all they're growing up with this plethora of media this plethora of experiences you know, to, you know especially with this kind of access to YouTube and to uh, the different, you know, Netflix and Hulu and everything, where they can uh, be more um, discerning about what they want to watch, they can they can have like their tastes catered to. And when you have different types of media that are starting, you know, where you have, um, I think the example would probably be something like Steven Universe, um, where you have creators who wanted to see themselves put into uh, cartoons like this or want to create something that is open and inclusive for children and that they'll grow up and introduce it to their kids. And so you're, you're trying to perpetuate this idea of, of inclusivity and criticism on top of it. Yeah, I think that, uh, I, unfortunately, I think young people are, are, are not seeing and not reading enough enough work still mm-hmm. that that is inclusive. You would think that um, you know children's programming is so much more, and it is compared to I guess you know regular programming. No, feel but, free to call me on anything because I again I'm speaking from my own position of you know liberal white privilege. So, <laughs> well, yeah, and, and because there's so much choice. 
voice, we can actually avoid the majority of, you know, media. Um, well, although, I don't know, I still find that it's really still difficult to find quality media that I feel like is representative of people that, you know, people of color and women of color. Mm-hmm. But, but again, you can at least avoid, right, avoid, like, annoying stuff, I think, for yeah. the most part. That's why I don't watch Duck Dynasty. So. <laughs> yes. Yes, but um, but I think for young people, I have children, and and the the kind of content out there, it's still not uh, it's still not reflective, despite the fact that children of color, babies of color, are outnumbering white babies. So mm-hmm. it, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised it, 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 if you look at you know if you look at um, if if there. I, I feel like there needs to be a study done actually of children's programming. Um, because I know that for sure children's books are still completely not diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, so if they're, if, if even the books that, you know, that are written for children are not diverse, I'm not sure like whether Hollywood is actually doing a better job. I mean, you have, you have Disney, right? Which is, um, yeah. I think, you know, Moana was, was its attempt to be, you know, much more inclusive, but then, you know, we watch the movie and it's, you know, it's fun. It's got all the Disney, like it hits all the Disney points of the, <laughs> of the great song, the great music, the princess-esque, you know, character. But then you, you think like, wow, well, this is how Pacific Islanders are. You know? <laughs> yeah. They, islands, they wear, you know, they wear like grass skirts and they, or, or you know, they, and then they, all they do is like, you know, surf and. And, and sale and, and eat coconuts. I mean, this is still mm-hmm. this is still not progress, right? Yeah, um, there's still all that room in there for the the wrong interpretations. Right. Well, it's popular because it still um, invokes traditional stereotypes, right? Like mm-hmm. when you think of like, what do you think of when you want to you know go on an island vacation? Like Moana kind of fulfills a lot of those fantasies, mm-hmm. and so, so it's um, yeah, it's it doesn't it doesn't actually. Um, break stereotypes it's the whole kind of positive stereotypes that that still then still you know exoticizes and and makes you feel like you know people of color are other they're different they're 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 not like us Mm -hmm. no definitely and yeah just just again feel free to call me on any kind of bullshit if you detect it so (laughs) (laughs) no i mean it's impossible to kind of you know be able to say something about all media we're not again the programming is so out there and it's you know, it's my job as, you know, a media scholar to kind of try to try to get a wider perspective, mm-hmm. um, especially that, you know, I can't expect you to know all about children's programming. <laughs> Damn. I, mean, <laughs> I watched so many cartoons as well. I wasn't prepared <laughs> to go back and relook at with Thundercats again. Damn it. Oh, Thundercats. <laughs> Not very many women on Thundercats. Nope. Just like the one and then there's that little girl one and you're just kind of like god she's annoying <laughs> are you the problem right when there's only one you know there is so much scrutiny and, mm-hmm. and if you don't relate to that one you have no one to relate to right exactly well and and it teaches you again to like relate to a male character instead and because i i grew up a, a tomboy basically because i just had it was just easier for me to identify with with men and with male characters on television and everything and it I I honestly didn't have a lot of female friends until you know I hit college just because it had never really worked out <laughs> so and, yeah, and the princess culture is is it's very problematic mm-hmm. it's very problematic because it's yeah if you don't fit into that kind of self-aggrandizing spoiled mm-hmm. you know, vain kind of um culture 
which is so problematic to kind of you know socialize girls into mm-hmm. then you're kind of you're you're not you're not seen as a girl right and mm-hmm. that's that is that is so such a narrow perspective of gender so well and and i did want to ask you this because you you wrote about mulan um and what what you know, and just what you were saying there, because what's interesting about the the movie Mulan is just that you know a lot of people would pro- would point to oh she's not a princess and it's not like it's not like she has like a huge romantic I mean it's not a huge romantic subplot but it's sort of there but they don't get married um, you know and she's a warrior and everything like do you um, do you look at those as again like them trying to um, otherize Mulan in that way like where she's not like officially a, a princess. And uh, like the the lack of a romantic subplot for the most part. Yeah, this is kind of like what do you what are we fighting for here, right? <laughs> um, because it's like on the one hand she's not a princess, and so therefore she's not seen as really part of kind of the the grand Disney narrative. You know, mm-hmm. she's not she's not promoted in the same way. She's not pictured. So in that way, she's othered, right? Mm-hmm. But then, do we really want you know? women to be valorized as princesses right? yeah so it's, it's, <laughs> it's like, like what stereotype like, do you want to fight justice do we want yeah you know oh we want mulan to be a princess i mean is that is that the is that the ultimate goal or is it to to create more um varied roles of of varied ways of seeing young girls seeing women of color um not as kind of this um well, I mean, with Mulan, I also felt like, yeah, she just saved all of China, but the romantic arc story is kind of how they, they ended it. Mm-hmm. And so then you feel like, ultimately, she's still, the most important thing in a girl's life is finding a man. It's like, she's still got a boyfriend. Yay! <laughs> yeah, and well, she goes from her father's daughter to, you know, this dude's, you know, girlfriend. And so it's, um, it, despite having, you know, achieved and attained this uh, this amazing to, to achieve this feat of, of saving an entire country. So I think this is this is although you know I think Disney's trying to move away from that mm-hmm. um, through Frozen, through you know through Moana, which didn't even have a romantic arc at all. So mm-hmm. I think they're hearing they're hearing kind of the complaints. Yeah, and they're they're seeing the waters. I mean, there's still a long ways to go in portraying girls of color. For sure. Um, but I think that at least. You know, kind of the princess trope is starting to shift a bit. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's it's you know, it's like uh, two steps forward, you know, two or three steps back, and you're just like, come on, just push it a little further, a little further, come on, guys, you can do it. Um, yeah, and Frozen, you know, Frozen was the big, huge, huge hit, right? And yeah. it's so funny because you know, you you watch that and you think, well, Anna, the the kind of red-headed auburn-haired girl is the lead really right she's the protagonist but who does what does every girl try to imitate you know the blonde mm-hmm. the blonde you know elsa right and i just found that fascinating right that, yeah. that the, the blonde-haired beauty is still like that that myth has not died right yeah and even it, as the storyline is one that really shows her as a kind of not complete antagonist but but you know, not she's not the hero, really. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they they kind of don't happens. really know who's the hero and or the villain in that movie. So. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and that's 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 good, right? That's a more complex portrayal. And um, but but then young girls everywhere were dressing up with you know the blonde wig and mm-hmm. uh, 
yeah, it's it's definitely. I mean, the the whole kind of race and beauty and gender, all of that. It's still um, it's still not inclusive of kind of you know um, women of color. So. Oh yeah, no, no, definitely. And I mean, one of my friends, uh, Sarah, and I, we actually ended up bonding over how much we didn't like Frozen. So <laughs> we were just sitting around going like, yeah, whatever. Like we were like Tangled's better in terms of like story, whatever. Um, but then again, you have a, a blonde girl who goes brunette after her powerful hair is cut off. So I don't know what that says, but I'm sure there's a way to read into it. So. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, I mean, like you said, with your students, like once you, once you start like actually critiquing media, it's really hard to turn that side of your brain off because it's just every time you watch something you're like, well, there's another thing I can't enjoy now. celebrities lives into it oh my god so complicated right right? like where does the artist you know and the art you know end and begin and Mm -hmm. you have like tons of apologists and and everything it's like the the one thing that i just kind of hold on to sometimes that you know i can enjoy media but also be critical of it i mean that's the reason you and you sometimes you have to critique the things you love most because if they're so sacrosanct then you know then what's to stop other people from having that same opinion yeah and critique i think makes art better Mm -hmm. right i mean if you're an art major it's all about like you know when you're sitting around and doing art and learning about what good art is you have a group of your peers critiquing your art Mm -hmm. right and so i think um i think i think it's fine to critique you know it's it, it means yeah it means that you're really invested right you're invested in 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 the art you're invested in um, improving what is out there and I think that um, you know I think that it's important for um, filmmakers for for showrunners to be receptive to that definitely yeah I mean I can I can tell you right now as a as a lifelong history major it's been very rough for members of my family to sit through certain like quote historical unquote movies with me so it's there's always me in the corner going that's not how that happened stop it <laughs> it's it's usually pretty bad when it comes to the American Revolution. So that's a uh, except for Hamilton. I'm cool with Hamilton. I'm I'm all right with that. <laughs> right. There's there's reimaginings that there's obviously a point to that. Yes. Right. And it's and it's elevates some you know another narrative that's that has not been has not been told in, mm-hmm. in our society. So yes, there's. I mean that's that's the beauty of art, right? I think that that it can. It can really uplift, um, and it can it can alter perspectives. I think, like I don't know if you saw Moonlight. Mm. Um, I just thought that that was one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen, actually. And I think that it it destroyed stereotypes by by directly kind of addressing those those um, those archetypes of you know the drug dealer, mm-hmm. the 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 crack you know the crack woman the woman who's on crack who's living mm-hmm. living in the inner cities and and can't can't take care of her child like it, the movie humanized them and it humanized them in a way that there's no way you can watch that and 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 well not no way but <laughs> i like to think that you know if you watch that you would you would no longer think of those those stereotypes in the same manner that it would actually you know help you do to develop some empathy mm-hmm. right for for characters um because we do we draw we draw on 
kind of we draw on those stereotypes when we don't know anybody in real life who is like that. We we formulate our our perceptions mm-hmm. about those groups based on what we see in film and television, and that's fiction, and it's usually you know problematic fiction. Mm-hmm. And so for for independent filmmakers, you know, like Barry Jenkins, to be able to 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 tell these more authentic stories, it's so important to for for people to go out and see those films. Well, and and especially what you're talking about with the cultivating empathy for people. I mean, I feel like right now with with uh, I mean, because we are in this you know um, situation where it's a lot more action oriented. Superhero movies are not just summer movies anymore; they're coming out basically just whenever now. Um, but there are they're hard pressed at times. I feel to actually develop the empathy that you would need, and because like a lot of these movies are kind of aping that style. It's like when you when you lack um, a substantial story and the ability to empathize with characters, you just kind of treat it all as just like, it's just fodder for your entertainment instead of actually like feeling something other than, you know, I guess anger at the bad guy or something like that. Right, and the way that action movies, these, these um, comic book movies kind of resolve problems is all through violence right mm-hmm. yeah not that i'm not anti-violence per se but but when they do dominate the entire kind of yeah like um season of film mm-hmm. it does it does and, and the fact that they're completely most of the time not diverse yeah uh, it, it it creates worlds um in which kind of the way that you resolve problems is so kind of um black and white right mm-hmm. that the that the there, there is no, there's no nuance anymore, and yeah, and empathy. I mean, I think you, there's not enough character development to kind yeah. of empathize with anyone. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I actually think that the the, the comic books themselves are not necessarily like that, right? But, yeah, but the movies <laughs> cut all that out, right? Because comic book movies, you can actually, I mean, comic books where you're reading over series, you see character development, mm-hmm. but um, but in the movies, all of that kind of gets um pressed into one-dimensional um, representations. No, exactly. I mean, I have ongoing discussions with friends about Man of Steel because the movie just completely vexes me in the way that it ruins Superman. <laughs> so, I, and I sit there and be like, you're at the end of this movie, you don't care about Clark Kent or Superman because they didn't do anything to make him a person. It's like he's just a dude who flies around and has told some stuff and then the one decision he actually makes is to kill a guy. So... What am I supposed to do with that? You know, this is why we need more um, directors of color and directors. I mean, it's Superman is an immigrant story. Yeah. Right? And, and it would be so much more interesting to kind of tell it from that perspective and to, and to make a kind of moral, um, even, you know, slightly political statement through the movie that can give it so much more depth, mm-hmm. that can give it kind of weight that... Um, that Superman should have mm-hmm. as a narrative that it could actually resonate with current times so well, but when you don't when you don't have those perspectives, um, it's yeah. Then it becomes completely kind of you know it doesn't it's not a metaphor for anything except just you know bad storytelling. Yeah, it's just it's just Christ metaphors on top of Christ metaphors, and you're just like I oh my god I get it. <laughs> you're 33 and you're in a church and there's Jesus behind you. Got it. Not an idiot. Wow. <laughs> it's like the, right, right. Uh, that kind of actually fleshing out like you know compassion or or actual other you know even 
depth of religion. It's just it's yeah. just a singular singular kind of yeah mm-hmm. um, ridiculous uh, and and he's kind a of cop out right yeah no and he and he's an empathetic character like some of the best I mean not to, not to just kind of gripe on Superman but the some of the best Superman stories are, are usually about his connection to people you know his empathy and his sympathy for people despite these godlike magnificent powers or whatever and it's like this, the movies just don't even get that part. They just go, nope, he's just super strong and punch real good. Yeah, and his desire to fit in with humankind, right? Mm-hmm. It's the whole assimilation, the tension between wanting to assimilate and then being different. Like, that is, that is. I mean, I'm an immigrant to this country, so I totally resonate with that, mm-hmm. um, with that kind of storyline of the tensions of wanting to fit in and yet wanting to preserve who you are, um, and, and, and wanting to bring something to, you know, the, the kind of destination country and all that, like, yeah, that, that, that would be, that would actually make Superman just so much more appealing. Yeah, but they're not going to do that. They're, no. <laughs> They've made their bed. Well, maybe somebody will do a YouTube version, you know, <laughs> and cast a person of color as Superman, right? Oh my God, right? <laughs> like, that would, like, make so much more sense. You know? <laughs> like, a Latino Superman, you know, who's... Who's, uh, who's with, you know. I would watch that show. I'm not even gonna lie. I would watch that show. <laughs> there's there's actually a book, um, Earth Two Society, where the the Superman of like that Earth is uh, is a black man um, named Val Zod. If I'm getting that correct, I'm sure people will tell me if I'm wrong. But uh, but it, it like I I always when they do like those Elseworlds kind of tales where it's just like, what if Superman were this? Or what if Wonder Woman was this? Like, why don't you just make it canon? And then we could go like, yeah, what if? No, it's like, not even what if it is. Well, that's a comic book deal. So, (laughs) uh, but I did want to ask you, uh, kind of going back to the book. Um, what, so how did you actually come about writing real inequalities? So I started the research back in 2000. I was in grad school, and I had to do a class project, and I just went out to a theater group mm-hmm. and just hung out with them. I, um, you know, I, I helped out. I volunteered. I talked with them, and I just – I was so struck by the fact that – because I, I couldn't understand as just, you know, kind of a fan or audience member – why actors of color would continue to do what they did mm-hmm. when there are no roles and it's like all of them are stereotypes. Like, <laughs> why would you? Why would you put yourself out there? And what I was struck by were was their passion for the art, mm-hmm. and also so many of them saw themselves as activists, right? That they that they wanted to to change Hollywood from the inside. And of course, you know their their powers are limited, right? Yeah. <laughs> about superheroes. Um, the people that have the control are are not. <laughs> actors right yeah who tells the story who green lights the projects it's not them but what i what i really loved and what i came to understand was that they with the kind of ounce of agency that they have in their roles like they will challenge things like they'll they'll change dialogue they'll change accents they'll change costumes um all within kind of a negotiating kind of thing where they Mm -hmm. have to negotiate with directors but then they'll do it because they feel a burden, a sense of burden that they want to represent. They understand that there are so few roles out there. So each image, each image that's out there is so precious, right? Mm-hmm. Each image is, 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 it, it could potentially, you know, um, 
influence how people see their entire racial group, right? And white mm-hmm. actors, just over and over again, never said anything like that because they, they, they understand that there are so many different kinds of representations that their, their single role is not going to, like, you know, change people's minds or make people think that this is how white people are. Yeah. No, I, I remember so. when... Um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to... <laughs> uh, when uh, Johnny Depp was cast as Tonto... Um, I, I, I just remember that there were, you know, because representation for Native Americans is, again, uh, you know, is also just super limiting and that the, the actor who played Tonto, you know, an actual Native American and people pointing to him and being like, look, we don't have a lot. So what we have, we have to hold on to. And then you bring this guy in who's like, what, a quarter, you know, like one sixteenth Cherokee or something like that. It's like, that's, that's insulting. Yeah, this is the whole white whitewashing problem, right? Yeah. When, and I think that white actors are not—they're not necessarily aware that what it means. Yeah, like exactly what you said. What it means to people of color to be able to see themselves on screen. Mm-hmm. And so for them, it's just another role, right? It's just another role. It's just another, um, and and they can play anything, right? So yeah. It doesn't really matter. It's like it's just privilege, right? The privilege to be able to play everything under the sun. And, um, and, and yet for actors of color, all they have are like most of the things that they have are stereotypes. So then, so even fighting over that, it's Mm -hmm. just, it's, it's such a sad state. So I, yeah, so I couldn't understand why they wanted to do it. But then after hearing them and hearing that they really saw it as, as kind of a, um, an activist kind of thing that they they that they they're not they're not even looking to to make to strike it big because you know there are there are so few yeah. actors that make it like I, I'm thinking about how Denzel Washington you know is he's like he and Viola Davis are kind of it you know they're they're mm-hmm. still kind of the same um, I mean even Viola Davis has been recent you know her fame but Denzel Washington you know he's 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 like the the single black actor that 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 wins awards I mean he mm-hmm. is you know Hollywood royalty. But then there's just who is who's the who's who's another person that we can even think of at his level. But if you uh, think of white actors, there are so many white actors that are at that A level, right? Mm-hmm. And so and so to to realize that I think is sobering because then it's like yeah, when the when when the actors are so few in terms of being able to give to be given opportunities to achieve stardom, then of course, you know, of course then why why, why aren't, you know, of course people of color are, 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 are fighting against whitewashing because because there's just not enough. There's yeah. just not enough for, for to make stars happen. And, and when you see those opportunities are there, that it, the possibility was there, and then it's just kind of, and then it's just taken away. It's just like, you had an opportunity. Like, you had an opportunity to make this different, and you chose not to because Matt Damon needs to defend China, I guess, so... <laughs> Which I, I I'm pretty sure that movie wasn't very good anyway, so it's just yeah, and and you know, and the problem is is that Americans will be like, well, it's a Chinese director, or you know, Ghost in the Shell. Well, the Japanese like don't have a problem with it, mm-hmm. but it's like they're they're reading like one interview and they they want to extrapolate it to an entire country, you yeah, know? and then and then also that's you know, and they're also conflating that country with people who are here, mm-hmm. right. So Asian Americans are not the same as Asians, you know, yeah. where we have different, we grew up here, we're different, you know, we, we, our, our identity is what is our sensibility is that we are Americans, right? Mm-hmm. So of course, we're, we're also Asian. And but then we, 
we don't see ourselves represented. People in Asia see themselves represented all the time. So mm-hmm. for one movie to have a white actor, it doesn't it doesn't destroy them, right? Yeah, the way it, it destroys us. So and I think that the, the the kind of dismissal of that experience, again, you know, the conflation of the foreign and you know, it, it's 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 just that. Um, Ultimately, people of color are not seen as Americans in the same way as white Americans are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like fuck. <laughs> um, amongst so amongst your interviews, I mean, were there with the with working actors, were there particular um, inspirations that they had that kind of pushed them forward, or was it, or were they just kind of mostly in that activist mentality from the get go? I think they, you know, they would look to past actors. Um, but there weren't that many, and it's interesting because a lot of the Asian American actors I talked to, they would look at the African American a- actors. You know, they would see their success and hope that they can eventually get to that level. But mm-hmm. of course, um, African American actors are are still facing you know a lot of limit limitations. So it's like it's um, all, everyone is you know still trying to fight for more roles, but it's like yeah the same kind of actors that are referenced um like samuel jackson like one um african-american actor said that well you know i'm willing to take stereotypes now because you know um you know look at samuel jackson you know the roles that he had in the beginning now he's in star wars this was back then you know when when samuel jackson was just starting to to make appearances in star wars and Mm -hmm. like so if i do the stereotype now maybe you know that's just it's just a stepping stone to the next stage right so yeah so they will they will look at previous actors um, you know that they're as role models, but but it would be it would be so few. It would be very very few, mm-hmm. and I think that that's that's the hard part. And a lot of them were still kind of in uncharted territory, right? They still felt like they had they they had to you know they had to just um, do what was necessary um, for now. But yeah. someday they will get to. <laughs> and, and I don't know if that someday um, will come. I mean, as you know, kind of an outsider, I, I never wanted to like destroy their dreams. You know? no. <laughs> It's like, you know, it's, it's a fight for dignity, you know, in terms of how you're represented on top of, you know, playing to these, you know, being forced into these roles, basically, because there are no other roles available to you. And then you're like, well, you know, I either don't and I don't eat or I do. And, you know, the perception of me is now is this. 
Yeah, so there's a psychological cost. And mm-hmm. yeah, yes, they have to. So they have to choose between career and just, you know, paying the bills and and then having to do a role that they don't feel very good about, right? Or yeah. sometimes they feel very not good about and, and they're ashamed of. And so it's 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 a very it was it's a very tough business for actors of color. And I think that what I what I thought was, you know, something that was peculiar to working actors when I started to do more um, research on even kind of the the more B A list actors of color, like mm-hmm. they're facing the same thing. So it's it really is. It's like you could go from A list to D list very very quickly, you know, when you're an actor of color because there are just so few roles mm-hmm. to be able to maintain kind of that superstardom. You need to have continuous offers, right? You need to yeah. continuously star in big budget films. And they're just, they're not writing those roles for actors of color in big budget films, especially now, like you said, the, the kind of Marvel, the kind of uh, DC kind of films, there, there, there aren't any roles. Or mm-hmm. there's one, come, you know, one, you know, Black Panther is finally coming out yeah. next year, but that's the one, right? <laughs> yeah, that it's has, like, like every single quarter, there's like, like a, a film that has like, you know, great juicy roles for white actors in those big blockbuster films. Yeah, I think I saw uh, there was a, a tweet where someone was joking, you know, they were joking, but it's true, where it's just like that Ryan Coogler is going to, to Marvel and being like, uh, I want all the, he's like, how many actors uh, of color do you want? He's like, I want all of them. They're like, okay. I was like, no, all of them. <laughs> like, just with the casting announcements that keep coming out, or you're just like, this is an amazing cast of people, and they're all showing up in this one movie because... The, you know the 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 sad part is that even though it's it's uh, Black Panther and he's already proven to be a, a popular character in in his one appearance in Captain America, but it's always treated like this is the only chance we have as well. Yeah, and I think that and then and then the problematic part of that is that they're going to watch this movie so closely, and mm-hmm. if it you know doesn't do as well, then they're going to be like, oh well, you know we can't do another black movie or we yeah. can't do another starring you know the wonder wonder woman movie we're not going to do another you know female you know heroine movie again clearly women don't sell right because but then there are so many movies starring white men that don't do well but they don't blame it on that right they don't scapegoat the race and gender with that that's like oh well that's because of this and that there's all sorts of other reasons but when it's but then they give so few chances and then and then they scrutinize that one and then mm-hmm. extrapolate it to all, you know, the, the, all, all, everyone from that race. Everyone from yeah. From that Jennifer, you know, ad infinitum. Like, like, you know, Margaret Cho had All-American Girl 20 years and then it wasn't 20 and it didn't do well. And then 20 years later, mm-hmm. it took 20 years for them to take another chance on an Asian-American sitcom and, in a, you know, in a prime time, in a um, uh, broadcast channel. Yeah. It actually, it's ABC again. It took them 20 years 20 years because they're like oh well asian sitcoms don't do well <laughs> and and it's like how many white starring sitcoms flopped during that those 20 years yeah that never cared about or you never you know extrapolated to oh well white sitcoms don't do well <laughs> so it's, it's definitely there, there's there's you know a extreme double standard that doesn't make any financial sense but mm-hmm. because um because people just see you know White, white show, whatever, white studio folks, white um, decision makers, gatekeepers, they, they see women and people of color through, through a different lens, mm-hmm. right? It's, yeah. It's just, yeah, and it, and it creates these barriers, and it creates, you know, inequality in the system. 
No, and and it's like the because with the news, what um, was it? Jessica Jones season two. They were saying like, oh, we're gonna have all you know all female writers, all female directors, and the, and people are applauding them. And then you're like, you look over and and Queen Sugar has been doing that the whole time, and it's like guys. Okay, great, but you have to you have to acknowledge this stuff over here too because it's we're all trying to work for the same goals, but only one's getting the press. Yeah, definitely. I think um, yeah, this is the whole you know inter- intersection of race and gender. It, it just gets really, really um, complicated. Yeah, no, it, it does. We're not going to solve the problem today, unfortunately. But um, one day, maybe someday, could happen. Well, we can we can we can have conversations, and we can um, we can you know spread the spread the information. Hopefully, Definitely. you know that'll that'll. I think once it starts to become part of um, the consciousness of, mm-hmm. of especially the young people hearing it in in colleges and universities, I think that does. I mean, one thing is that you know teaching sociology. I think um, more and more young people are coming into these classes with the with the vocabulary to talk about race in ways that they hadn't before. So mm-hmm. I think generations are now changing. Like they under, they've heard of white privilege, whether they agree or disagree. Mm-hmm. They they've heard of the term, and so then you can engage. You can engage at that level immediately, rather than having to even explain. So because there's some prior knowledge there, and so I think that um, yeah, I think that it's important for you know for people like you doing podcasts to. Um, for people, you know, for people to write about it, for for people on social media, for bloggers, it's it, it is important. You know, the, the getting the information out and and changing the culture, it, it's possible. Yeah, no, I mean, I was actually going to ask you with your students, like when when you started, uh, you know, teaching uh, about media, uh, you know, media relations with race and gender, uh, was it was it a struggle? Uh, more then than it is now do you feel like with them coming in with these vocabularies that you don't have it's not so much of a shock to them when you're just like it's never going to be the same after this guys oh absolutely when I started teaching nine years ago I I, I had to even convince them that there was racial difference for racism no um, <laughs> Yeah, like I had to start from, I had to like actually like rewind back to kind of any inequality exists. Mm, and, oh, yeah. So, so I think that now when students take my class, um, they are coming in with already kind of um, the knowledge that there is difference. So, and mm-hmm. I think that has a lot to do with social media. That has a lot to do with um, just kind of you know media in general. I do mm-hmm. think that you know that Hollywood has um has engaged this more even even as just kind of a critique of right mm-hmm. i think the critique of hollywood has made it into consciousness and of course you know black lives matter and and movements that are that are um that are getting information out in more democratic ways right that we're not mm-hmm. relying on we're not relying on mainstream media of course there's also the you know the risk of fake news of course um, but um <laughs> so you know there's when, when there's more democracy there's news and information in all sorts of ways right mm-hmm. but um but the fact that i think that yeah that now alternative voices are have have more of a platform to be heard i think that that's really helpful because it challenges the mainstream to kind of um to, to embrace that because I feel like when I was uh, first on Twitter and Black Lives Matter was just kind of taking off and police brutality like it was all over Twitter first it all broke on Twitter first even mm-hmm. journalists for mainstream media was tweeting stuff first before it got actually on CNN or something yeah so so I really appreciated that and I think that um and that young people are kind of you know they're, they're very 
much uh, in tune with that and and it has i think empowered them to be more critical mm-hmm. over time does does it make your job easier or do you find it's just it's just as challenging if not more so to be able to start at a higher level of critique mm-hmm. um, and I think that also so my students have also changed over time I have I have now more students of color mm-hmm. and students from different socioeconomic backgrounds so that also has changed so I think that um, but then the white students also they come in and they are they are totally um, wanting to see social change so it's 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 kind of an overall shift and mm-hmm. it, it makes my job definitely easier um, what makes it harder is that um, there's so much media out there that sometimes like we can't talk about the same media because not everybody's <laughs> seen the same thing right so we're not it's not like back in the days when you know there was just, just like you know the four or five channels and, mm-hmm. and, and there's no recording and you just kind of watch and everyone knows. it's like the whole roots phenomena when oh, yeah, yeah. aired everybody would talk about it the next day it was kind of a shared viewing experience mm-hmm. uh, we don't have that anymore right yeah. I you know probably like you take 10 people out of the class you know all 10 of them will be watching 10 different things that the other nine had not seen ever and, and they're all shouting spoiler alert at each other so <laughs> yes 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 so, so yeah so that's um, that, that that makes it a little more challenging to kind of be able to um know be on the same page Mm -hmm. um well we're at a little bit over an hour so i I do i want to talk about the golden globes because it's uh very important because you were live tweeting it um over the the course of the evening um so overall how did you how did you feel about it i felt um i felt like what i've noticed was that when the nominations when the nominees were 50 percent about 50% uh, people of color, mm-hmm. then those categories were, um, those were the categories where, you know, the chances of an of, of, of actor of color winning was just higher, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and which made me think, like, it's really about nominations, right? It's about nominations. It's not just kind of like winner, like, we have to actually have more nominees, we have to have more projects, more opportunities, mm-hmm. that it's, it's, a, it's a numbers game. Right. It's, yeah. it's not a lack of talent. It's really like what Viola Davis said in her acceptance speech before um, was that it's 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 not a lack of talent. It's it's all about opportunity. Mm-hmm. Given the opportunity, there will be more winners of color. So there were twenty nominees. Um, some of them were you know in the same category, and three winners. Right, in terms mm. of actors of color, and so that's only about fifteen percent. Um, yeah. And so I think that um, I, I was I was I was so frightened. I was I was I, I just if if Moonlight had not won at the very 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 end, of yeah, the film, I was going to I don't know I was I was just going to boycott everything from now on now you know now until you know <laughs> until I die. You're just throwing I, all I, the tables on the floor. <laughs> yes, I believe so much in that film. I really honestly like you know I've watched a lot of films over the years and I just that's it's a revolutionary film Mm -hmm. that I just I just can't I can't imagine it not winning all the awards and so I I felt I felt redeemed and vindicated that you know that (laughs) that how can you deny such um such kind of revolutionary and aesthetically and plot-wise narratively innovative you know Mm -hmm. just if it's it's like if you if if that movie did not win then like Hollywood is only ruled by racism yeah (laughs) because the sheer talent of the cast so I was I was disappointed right 
cast mm-hmm. did not that the that the nominees um, did not win from yeah. from the film. So that was that was disappointing. And I also I, what I also thought was that some of the winners, um, like for example, the Queen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, Claire, the, uh, Claire 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 Foy. I, I've seen that series. I actually stopped watching it because I actually was I didn't think it was that great of a series. So mm-hmm. for her to win. And I know, you know, a lot of this is, you know, personal opinion. I'm sure there's other people that think it's great. But um, but compared to other films, I, I really thought that, that she was not necessarily the most talented, which which is fine, which just shows that award shows is not necessarily only based on merit, mm-hmm. right? There are other factors. I noticed that because it's the Hollywood Foreign Press, there were actually a lot of, like, British and French winners, right? Yeah. Which kind of makes sense, right? Um so there are other factors, right? There's taste preferences, you know, that maybe are different, you know, maybe it resonated more with, you know, some of the voters. And so it's 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 not objective, right? It's mm-hmm. not objective. And so for, for, I think when people say, well, that person didn't deserve to win because they weren't talented, like that is, that is a cop out. Right? Yeah. That is, that is denying the fact that there are, there's systematic kind of barriers that actors of color, um, face as well as you know being being chosen like they're they are like white white voters are not seeing those films mm-hmm. right they're not seeing those films and they're not aware of them and they don't even think of them and so to 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 have that kind of that to have those barriers the, the, it's it could be implicit bias it might not be you know overt racism where they're like purposefully not choosing people of color mm-hmm. but the bias is there and i think to not acknowledge that and to blame uh, a lack of talent I think that that was that was something that I took away from the Golden Globes, right? To, mm-hmm. to see that you know it's 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 not necessarily the the best the best person wins, but you know there are other factors, and and you can't deny that there is that there is bias. Yeah, no, it definitely. I mean, especially you you go from award show to award show. I mean, do you feel like something like the Screen Actors Guild would be a you know might ha- turn out to be very different in terms of nominations and winners because it is actually the actors voting for themselves? Yes, but then the, the actors voting are still predominantly white men, yeah. right? So because because the entire industry is skewed, mm-hmm. and so and then we know that the academy, you know, because the academy, the the ones that vote for actors are their peers too within the academy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so and so we know that the academy, you know, they're trying to diversify, so that's a, a good step, but it, it'll take. Like I think, like I don't even. I think someone did the calculations, like hundreds of years, actually, or like hundred oh, years. Oh damn! For actually, for actually, the proportions to change, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's already the percentage of the people that are already there, and to add, you know, just to add, like they would have to add so many, you know, actors of color to actually change the proportions. Yeah. Like, so yeah, so I think, um, and not to say that all actors of color are going to vote for actors of color, and that no white actors are ever going to vote for actors of color, right? Yeah. But um, but you know, but when when it's so skewed, and when there's an eight, when there's kind of uh, you know like yeah, there's you know older older voters that we know that sociologically. Um, people tend to have, you know, tend to vote for with their social, kind of according to their social circles, and and whites have, you know, ninety ninety some percent only, mm-hmm. you know, other white white friends. Like they're not they're not having a diverse group of um, of interactions with, yeah. with people, and, and therefore they're they're choosing people that look like them, 
mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. And this, of course, for, for older, for older, you know, for older voters, Oscar voters, this is more the case. So I think that, I think that, yeah, that seeing the award show and, but also seeing like for the first time. So there's like, you know, there's the positives. I mean, there's the negatives and there's the positives and seeing that there were a lot of African-American actors in the audience and nominees. Mm-hmm. And I think that, but then of course there were very few Latino and very few, you know, Asian American nominees. Yeah. And so there's still a, a long ways to go in terms of, um, in terms of actual proportional representation in these award shows. And again, it's, it's opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and when you see like, uh, you know, like edge of 17, you know, like that, I think, um, you know, the, there was, um, there was an Asian American, um, I guess a love interest, right? In that, mm-hmm. And that, and I think that he was, um, proposed as a nominee, but he didn't get nominated. Cause I think that the, also the problem with a lot of these, these, um, representations like, or actors nominated, they're, they're often foreign, you know, or British or, um, Australian, mm-hmm. even the actors of color, right? Like, yeah. Like, like, you know, like even the Latino, they're, they're, they're Mexican origin actors, right? So we're, we have very few kind of, um, American people of color. I think it, it, this again shows the, the kind of bias that, that we have here in this country that, that the nominees that we're getting are from, you know, from other countries. And so, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, America, the United States has, has a long ways to go in terms of inclusivity. Yeah. No, and I, I was just still mad that Riz Ahmed didn't win for the night of it's just like, what, what is that about? <laughs> yep. Like, no, I mean, he's British, he's, you know, he's, he was in Rogue One, he's, it's, it, it should be his time, right? Right. But I think that, I think that it's just, it's really hard for, um, it's just really hard for, for, I think, these award shows, and Hollywood, I mean, the award shows are just a reflection of the industry, Yeah, right? it's just a, it's just a mirror into what's going on, and, I mean, I, I can't, I don't know with the, when the Oscar nominations are announced or anything, but I mean, do you see another Oscar so white kind of on the on the brink? I I think not this year. It's it would really be. I mean, if it if it does happen, it will just reflect so poorly on Hollywood that maybe you know finally we'll have like a, I mean an extreme revolution mm-hmm. because there's no excuses this year. There are absolutely no excuses yeah. we have so many films with talented actors that have already you know received a lot of awards so i think i think it's an impossibility especially with moonlight and fences and um hidden figures mm-hmm. i think um loving i just think i think it's uh, it's impossible this year to have another oscar so white i don't know if there's actually be a going to be a winner of color yeah <laughs> i think nominations at least there will not be another oscar so white um and I think someone also pointed out um, that it, for the first time we also have African Americans in storylines that are not about the civil rights or slavery. Mm. So showing that there are, you know, there are other what? dramatic uh, tellings of stories that don't have to do with those two historical periods. You right? don't say. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that has been that has been kind of the the trend, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of in terms of Hollywood kind of and or you know they're not maids, right? That's yeah. Another, that's another, uh, maids and slaves, so in kind of very demeaning kind of roles that even the the Oscar winners have to be in those kind of uh, subservient roles. Yeah, no, Viola We're Davis not have definitely. Malcolm X or you know Martin Luther King winning, you know characters winning winning the Oscar because that's that's just too that's too much power. Yeah, no, 
Why, why would you want that to happen? That just uh, just helps people too much. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that, that mobilizes people to actually, you know, uh, act, activate, you know, change. <laughs> yeah, they they want to be great for some reason. I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we're, we're, at, we're at the time, time limit here, not time limit, but you know, time is coming to its conclusion and whatnot. Um, so before we go, uh, actually, so you mentioned Moonlight, um, a couple of times as, as a movie that people should go see. Uh, are there any other movies that you would recommend people watch that they don't necessarily have to be recent, but, uh, ones that you think reflect well on representation for, you know, um, you know, any of the communities really? That's a really great question. Um, I think I think television might be, mm. you know, might be the way to go. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I think film, film, it's it's just it's you know the industry has shifted, right? Where mm-hmm. independent films, it's really it's really hard to kind of break through now. And I think that um, I think that television, you know, with uh, Master of None mm-hmm. and you know. Uh, shows like Inse- like Insecure and Queen Sugar, I think that um, that television is kind of where where um, where representation is actually taking a turn for for um, greater complexity, right? Where you're mm-hmm. not seeing where it's not tokens, right? That's, yeah. that's the problem where they're tokens, right? Um, and and I think that in television, because there there there, there are so many more, um, there's just so many so much more programming. On mm-hmm. television, and and again, like you were saying, that there's there's like specialized, right? There's 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 places that people can't see themselves represented because it's not television. No longer is trying to reach the widest audience mm-hmm. um, because there's just no way now, right? Yeah. But they're but they're but they're willing to take more risks, and I think that yeah, that shows like Insecure, um, Master of None, you know, Blackish, Fresh Off the Boat, mm-hmm. that that there are these shows that are. Um, Jane the Virgin. That the, there, are, there are shows that that actually speak truth into stories that 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 we haven't seen before, and, and that is not happening at the same rate in films. Okay, well, no, excellent. Yeah, um, there's there's definitely a lot of stuff out there, so people go and find it, and hopefully start the revolution now. <laughs> But uh, Nancy, again, once again, thank you for being on the show. Um, is there? Uh, d- uh, do you want to give out any of your uh, information where people can find you on the internet? Sure. So uh, follow me on Twitter at Nancy W Y U E N, and um, and of course my book Real Inequality uh, mm-hmm. is available everywhere books are sold. Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> so it's even in Barnes Noble, and um, yeah. So so check it out and um and yeah and also there's a there is a facebook group as well um for for the book and, and so you can join that book uh, that that facebook group and and i'm actually having um a launch party so if you join the facebook group you can um find out more if you're the in the los angeles area there's a launch party um actually the saturday after oscar nominations come out so oh, wow. lots of good lots of good conversations to be had at the launch so. yeah it's like lots of good conversations <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I'm having a Facebook Live also on, on, on my page. Um, oh, okay, cool. Immediately, immediately after nominations, and I'll be doing um, some live Twitter stuff that week as well. So. Sweet. Are you planning to live tweet the, the Oscars as well? Um, the actual show? Mm-hmm. Or? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll be definitely live tweeting this show. So um, <laughs> it, it'll be interesting this year. So it's like the aftermath of Oscar So White. What will what, what we see? So. <laughs> Post Oscar So White world that we live in. <laughs> Post Oscar So White, I love it. But I think I, if you look, actually, I've done research looking back at like past histories. There has been other, you know, per- time periods, time periods of Oscar So White. But in fact, you know, actually in the early years. There, there, there were many, many years where there were no Oscars so wide. So you think that, you know, the, the old, I mean, not the older, older, the first, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Oscars. But, <laughs> but you would think that, you know, in the 50s and 60s, there would be Oscars so wide. But no, it's, it wasn't. It, it's, it's just kind of amazing. I, I encourage people to kind of look back on past years. And mm-hmm. that, that the, the last two years of Oscars so wide is, is problematic precisely because it should not be in this, you know, day and age. Yeah. So it's like, go figure, guys. History is important. It might teach you something. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, this has been so awesome, Nancy, and I'm just so glad that you were here to, to talk about this. And, uh, yeah, no, um, I'm definitely going to read it, and I will uh, let you know when I'm finished however many hours it took me. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely let me know. I, I want to hear feedback, and, you know, it's, I'm totally open to more conversations about it. For sure. Um, and uh, for the Maniacal Geek and That Girl with the Curls, because I know nothing about consolidating brand, um, I will say good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>